This episode of The League Rundown is brought to you by Moxie and Zen. Check out moxieandzen.com slash tforce or just use the code tforce for 20% off of your order. Premium, inexpensive boxers made from bamboo to help wick away the sweat, leaving your bot lane feeling fresh. Compared to the rest, none of them will keep you as comfy as Moxie and Zen. Hello, and welcome to episode 440 of the League Rundown, brought to you by the Trinity Force Network. This is one of our evergreen history lessons. This episode is lovingly entitled EULCS 10-Year History Lesson, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the LEC. I'm your host, Sean Duff Duffy. I'm joined today by four esteemed co-hosts. We have the ever-present Jack Zoman. Esteemed is high praise for me. Also, twitch.tv slash Jack Zoman. I'll be streaming ranked once the season starts. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. The other esteemed person was actually Craig, our recording thing. So don't worry, you were not included in that, Jack. Okay. Uh, we've got live from his own bedroom, it's Kinga's Cast. Since this is an episode that we're hoping, you know, lasts a couple of years and people come back to, I, I need everyone to know Duffy is currently rocking a filthy caterpillar on top of his lip, uh, and he keeps <laughs> twisting it. And he's, I just, I, every time he touches it, it just reminds me of when I had a mustache, though. So I it's, just need everyone to have that mental image in their head. It, it, it's truly mm-hmm. awful. At least you're in my facial hair because we haven't shaved it off, not because we've intentionally groomed to have this horrible thing above our lip. He's even got like a Thank Brom you. t-shirt on, so it's like mustache yeah, it's on the mustache. the same, same. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and the muscles are exactly the same as well. Oh, Just yeah. to clarify for everyone at home who hasn't seen a picture of me yet, it's like <laughs> one for one. Uh, <laughs> we've got him. He's on the loose, but he's with us today. It's Mongoose. Uh, I'm too young for facial hair, so none of that here. Uh, baby <laughs> face, Mongoose. I'm actually it's- a hairless Mongoose. A <laughs> naked mole rat. <laughs> if you want to put that image in your head. <laughs> It's funny because you have like want the other, longest hair out of anybody on the cast. If you want other images, by the way, of Mongoose, you should check out his Twitter where he posted his cosplay of grunge Hillary Clinton. Uh, what? It is 10 out of 10. You all should go see it. I'm it is incredible. I'm right now. <laughs> Mongoose, drop it here. Yeah, I'll drop it in it's here. So don't worry. Good. Don't worry. Uh, Twitter's broken. When I search Mongoose, you don't even pop up, even though I follow you. Oh. It's fine. It's fine. I guess he's not that loose. It's actually uh, at Mongoose LMBT for those looking for it. 
There you go. Uh, we also this week have a very special guest for EU LCS and LEC action uh, joining us from across the pond, meaning we're recording at a very odd time for us. It's Sam, baby. Very special is quite a thing to say about me. Uh, very true, though. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I actually... That's what your teachers have been saying for years. <laughs> That's what my mum calls me. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. You can find me on Twitter at underscore SJMC, and I do plan on streaming on Twitch at SJMC underscore. Very confusing, I know. And I also do plan on returning to the podcast, maybe bi-weekly, give or take, if my schedule allows it. But uh, yeah, nice to be back, guys. All it took Hell was yeah. us making a whole history of the EU scene <laughs> for you to hop back I reinstalled on. League because of you today. Like, I haven't played that game in a year because of you. Like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> we got him back. Welcome back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, this is uh, our second of our series of uh, really 10-year history lessons uh, regarding NA, uh, which we just recorded last week, and EU this week. Uh, we hope that these are episodes that you can enjoy now as it's coming out live and also in the future. You can show this to your friends, family, your grandmother who's really excited uh, to learn about the EU scene. Uh, and she can go ahead and listen to us talk about kind of the big things. This is not a comprehensive history lesson. You're not going to take an AP test or your owls or whatever it is after this. I don't know what you do in uh, Brexit. Yeah. I'm really proud funny. of that. Why are What's we up? calling this a 10 year history lesson when we're covering 12 years? Because it's the EU LCS. Yeah. It's been around for 10 years. Okay. That's why but it is EU. We're, we're going to try and be very brief with the pre EU LCS. So uh, if you caught the LCS <laughs> episode uh, or NA LCS episode, um, that was kind of an experimental <laughs> one. Uh, we learned a lot from it. So this one, uh, we're going to be probably a little more brief with some of the stuff before actual EU LCS started. Um, but speaking of, we have Sam here joining us back on the podcast uh, because you. I hear that you're from the region. Is that true? No. Well, he used to be. <laughs> used to be. <laughs> right, right, right. So if Papa you, Brexit, baby. <laughs> if you could give us an introduction into what was the EU LCS like before EU LCS existed? Or rather, what was the region like, right? Because for you sure. Know, early days of League was kind of crazy. So I think this requires a bit of a preface. So League came out in a weird time for Dota, and Dota was basically a mod for Warcraft 3. And It was before Heroes of New Earth came out too, and it was the only MOBA around, and it was really clunky and really shit, and so Riot took Gwinsu, which was Ice Frog's best friend, and they made All-Stars together, and they poached him and brought him on Riot, and so a lot of Dota players came over to League. Um, And so, in 2010, a lot of regional lands happened, because there wasn't a ranked ladder, and very, very little data um, exists online to suggest, you know, what teams, what players were relevant. So players would form teams by adding each other after high ELO pubs or, you know, because they knew each other offline. But the most notable tournament and the only tournament that you can really find online before season one was WCG 2010. Um, and back mm. then, you know, different teams would re- represent regions and countries um, in different games, CS, you know, Dota, StarCraft, etc. But there is one team from EU that is very notable, and it is a team called I Wear a Cape IRL. And this team was quickly picked up by SK Gaming right before WCG. Uh, No notable players on that team. They all quit right after the tournament. But um, yeah, there's also another thing. uh, They also lost to CLG in the finals there. Funny that. Uh, But there's also something quickly to note, that roles in the game were not defined um, by the players. It was defined on the champion that they would play. So mid-set, they would just change up a role for whatever reason. Um, So that's basically all of like 2010 before season mm. one happened 
And um, in general, this was just a time in, in gaming where like online play was becoming the norm but it, for before that it had been all land play and stuff yeah. uh, for quite a while so uh this was kind of a, a, a big thing as well that league was fully embracing it's also interesting to note that the the differences in european and american culture when it came to um gaming specifically online because lands were so much more difficult to attend so you would have a bunch of polish players playing in poland for example not traveling to mm -hmm. berlin to play in a, a german tournament but uh when sk picked up ira cape irl they're only like payment. They play, they paid for the flight and two hotel rooms for the team, and that's it. And they just got to compete. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, but what that's were the prize pools like back then? Back then, the prize pools. I think it was around like ten thousand dollars, if that, for WCG oh, and League. I believe the winner of WJC got seven thousand dollars. The second place got two thousand dollars, and third place got one thousand dollars. If I remember correctly, off the top yeah, of my head, you weren't a full time huge. gamer. Back it was then. huge back <laughs> then. <laughs> was yeah, because really don't forget, this isn't like. Uh, this is a prize pool, as in your team of five plus whoever else is now sharing whatever you guys won. Yep. So if you didn't get first, you weren't even making minimum wage, yep. considering how much time you put in at the tournament. But also I mean, probably before like even coaches, if you did, and, like, you a lot of staffing minimum wage, so. I think so too. I think so too. Yeah. But so that, anyway, keep going. Yeah. yeah, yeah so continue. then season one happened, and season one really saw the rise of European talent. Um, with multiple IEMs and the very first Worlds, which actually took place in June, in Dreamhack June, um, where we saw Fnatic play against against All Authority in the finals, um, and it was very highly expected that Fnatic was going to win, and they uh, they did, even though AAA had Soaz and Yellowstar, and Yellowstar played ADC at the time, and he had the infamous Ash Arrow play, um, and then Fnatic had Xpeke, Cyanide, Shushe, Lamia, and Melisan. These are very important names because they are actually in the Hall of Fame of Fnatic, even though nobody mm. knows anything about them apart from Peke and, and Cyanide now. Um, we Will Failer is a name that I want to bring up because he subbed in for Peke on the first day due to a delayed flight. And We Will Failer is still around in the league, like in league today. 12 years later, he's coaching a random Greek EUR, uh, what do you call it? The wow. regional leagues? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Fnatic 1 2 1, which was the biggest moment being the Ash Arrow that I mentioned. And then after that, we saw three IM tournaments. And obviously, Fnatic, we're going to be the favorites to win all of them. Um, but also, SK was, was, was poised to finish highly. So, um, with that in mind, CLG won <laughs> IEM Cologne, uh, the NA roster. And then you had IEM Guangzhou and New York, which took place literally 12 days between each other. So, New York to China in 12 days wow. and competing in both. So, SK Gaming attended both, naturally, with Wicked, Snoopy, Ocelot, Candy Panda, Nif. Um, but World Elite won Guangzhou and Fnatic won New York. So that's really all we have for season one and, and, and before. Um, because there weren't mm -hmm. really many tournaments that were like on broadcast. There weren't many that were even internationally known. It's very And then all of these were being streamed on Justin TV <laughs> or on other... Um, there were other competitive streaming services at the time and they were all done on their own. So mm -hmm. each tournament was essentially restarting from scratch unless it was a consistent... Um, structure like an IEM would all be on IEM channels, mm -hmm. etc. But again, prize pools wild. were like way lower than yeah. uh, you know even like 2015 when they started to get a lot mm -hmm. bigger. So players weren't making a lot of money. They were all working day jobs, and this is what they were doing on the side, or they were like you know high school college students that had the time to do it. But yeah. just a completely different landscape uh, for league. But that I, I believe that leads up to a pretty big event uh, at the end of season one. Um, 
Called the, called the World Championships. I, well, I guess you, you already covered well, that a little bit, right? Yeah, no. Well, Worlds actually happened in June. So it happened before any of the IEM tournaments, which happened in October. Uh, right, yeah. So, yeah, the format back then was, like, super all over the place. And I don't even know how you qualified for, for World Season 1. Because there wasn't, I don't think there was a play-in stage or anything there like that. There were regional qualifiers. Oh, there was. Okay, right. Okay, interesting. There were four different regional qualifiers. Gotcha. And EU and NA got one additional slot, if I remember correctly. Okay. I think that just brings us into season two, though, because there's not very much yeah. to go off of for season one. But season two is huge, because uh, they had a lot of huge rosters that came out in the early stages. SK did a huge shuffle um, with Wicked and Snoop A departing, and then forming CLG's EU division, CLG EU, the best roster of all time. Hey, I'm roasting the goggles yeah. here, but it is <laughs> the best team ever. Uh, and they picked up Absolute Legends in like a, a merger. So Wicked and Froggen were joined by Snoop A. They also picked up Yellow Pete and Crepo, uh, a very top-ranked support player who now goes by Boris. We don't want to talk about that, though. Uh, Fnatic then picked up Soaz and Enrated and gave a 15-year-old Swedish player his very first opportunity at playing professionally. More into that later. Um, and then Moscow. Moscow 5, Team Empire, um, with Swaglord Darian, Diamond Prox, Alexeich, Genja, Gosu Pepper, the big names, absolutely cataclysmic names in European history, um, mm. with Team Empire being the very first team to have like a play named after them so back in the day nunu could alt in a bush and i mean you still can't see it if you if you have vision right um but nobody knew about that back then you could only see if you were slowed and so the team empire is a nunu alt in a bush and yeah nobody uses that now but um mm. and due to the meta not really being solidified uh, it was really evolving um, with like chinese players wei Zhao really solidifying what an adc is so the best european player to play like wei Zhao was the best adc at the time essentially um, but it was really highly focused on mid, with champions like Karthus, Zerath, Kassin, and TF, and Oriana being like top, top, top of the meta. And then came along Froggen and his Anivia. Uh, one of my favorite players of all time, um, Froggen really shook up the meta with like his farm-heavy playstyle, uh, which he broke multiple CS records. Um, and like during DreamHack Summer 2012 in Group B, CLG were against Moscow 5. This is like the big game. Well, one of the biggest games that happened in, in Season 2. Um, mm. You know, CLG were on the cusp of losing this game. At one point, it was 3-12, to 12, which was really huge back in the day. Um, and then with a turtle play style, Froggen cleared waves, got really fed, and just hard-carried the game after being 20k down. And this was, like, what solidified CLG as being the team, because they beat Moscow. Um, and I'm always obviously skipping a lot here, but World Season 2 was greatly, like, expected to be a European sweep. Um... Like I said, CLG, U, Moscow 5, and, and SK qualifying. Um, season 2 Worlds brought us some, some great moments, like uh, Snoopy um, trying to translate for Wicked on stage, even though he's Scottish <laughs> and Danish. And that was a great moment. Okay. Um, just, and, and to clarify, they both spoke English, but they were just doing it as a gag, yeah. and it made it even funnier. Just, yeah. just go look up Snoopy translating on YouTube. It is one of the funniest clips of League of Legends day. history. It's legendary. Snoop A is spelled S-N-O-O-P-E-H, by the way. Yes. Don't just look for Snoopy from Peanuts. <laughs> That's not going to get you anywhere. Um, and while CLG EU and M5 finished only third and fourth in Worlds, it was widely believed at the time that TBA, uh, TPA and Azubu fluked their way through the finals, right? With TPA ultimately winning and being the only you know, reigning champion from the now-defunct LMS region. Um, but, you know, there was one other tournament that I need to draw attention to before moving on. IPL 5. Um, IPL 5 is where I personally believe that the West specifically, like, or Europe specifically, lost their grasp of being the supposed dominant, you know, international 
um, force, right? So there was this one game in CLG EU World Elite quarterfinals, and it ended 2-0, where CLG was supposed to win that tournament. Um, but the highlight was the second game that lasted one hour and ten minutes, where Froggen played Lee Sin mid, and despite having a huge gold lead, World Elite outscaled them and won it. And then in the finals, Fnatic also lost to World Elite 3-1. So mm. I would say that you have so much expectation coming into Season 1 for Europe to be the dominant powerhouse, and Season 2 as well, only for that to just be crumbled completely. And unfortunately, this turns into yeah. a pattern for a long time for Europe. Like, I don't know what happened, but internationally, it, Europe just doesn't perform well from this point on. It, if you've ever wondered why on this podcast, every time we talk about LPL, Sean or I makes a reference to Team WE as they're known nowadays. He still calls them World Elite because he's Sean. Let's go! This yeah. is why. It's IPL 5. And this was when I think uh, there was a relatively long trough that happened with EU to kind of grind their way back to notable status at the international stage. They started really hot, but then as soon as, you know, the Chinese Korean team started to come into these international events, they just kind of fell off and weren't able to compete for a while, which leads a little bit then into the actual founding of the EULCS when it becomes a league, because all everything before that was all these tournaments, these IPLs, these IEMs. Uh, but now we start to get into the structured play era of League of Legends, where every major region has its own league to compete in. So, Sean Duffy, what should people know about the early years of the EULCS? Because now it's called LEC, but for anybody who's not aware, there was a time where it was NALCS and EULCS, uh, and there was kind of like an overlap in in viewership and viewer base and focus, and they were kind of considered sister broadcasts in a way. Um, but the early days, give us a, a lowdown. Yes, yeah, so the 2013-2014 marks the beginning of Riot actually getting off of their ass and creating a full structure. We talked about this in the NA episode. We'll obviously talk about it here now. Um, this is a dedicated league. There is now a full year-long league structure wherein eight teams will play against each other four times in best of ones. Uh, this was considered really good at the time. You were getting a whole bunch of different games. Best of ones were the best for viewership, uh, as expected early on. Also, was still a testing stage. We really didn't know a heck of a lot uh, at this point about MOBAs and how exactly popular a structure like this would end up being. Uh, but it was creating stability in a place that does not have stability. Having leagues, by the way, at all like this is still strange everywhere. Like this has now become the norm, I think, for the top, what would be considered tier one organizations, uh, tier one esports. E if you look at like Call of Duty, Halo, uh, Rocket League, to some extent, uh, has actually kind of stayed in a, a bit of a mid-wave between tournament style and between league style. Uh, but you look at Overwatch League, they've all kind of copied what Riot really spearheaded here in 1314, which is a publisher-owned, dedicated league. Uh, it was interesting, it was fascinating when it first came out. Kangas is absolutely right. Uh, both EULCS and NALCS were kind of marketed together. They weren't really considered two separate things. They were considered the same product, just in two different regions. They would mirror each other in terms of content they would create. The setting and formats were very similar. They both moved to dedicated studios in order to actually have a landing spot and a home uh, base, essentially. Uh, so this is the beginning of LEC, what is now called LEC, in Berlin. Uh, that studio began, I think, in 2013, if not finalized by 2014, but I'm pretty sure they were actually in their studio before NALCS officially had theirs. 
uh, first teams, you had a couple of different mainstays here, and uh, some of these still exist, uh, and others have gone uh, uh, the way <laughs> of one of their names. Uh, Fnatic is still here. Gambit moved over to the CIS and is now essentially defunct. Evil Geniuses was actually originally an EU LCS organization. Alliance is a name that uh, will pop up a little bit more here. We've got SK Gaming aforementioned already. They were big mainstay in European esports in general. Uh, we've got Giants, Rocket, and Copenhagen Wolves. These are the big teams in the first couple of years. Uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that if you listen to our NA episode, because Copenhagen Wolves in particular has a lot uh, to be thankful about. There's a specific America. player on that team that kind of kind of popped off a little bit. Uh, it might have been yeah. poached by NA. You might even consider him the best NA player of all time if you ask certain experts and Riot themselves. Uh, teams that were not able to make it into the initial EU LCS. Well, th th these are ones teams. that uh, had actually been in the first year, but then don't really have like a legacy uh, afterwards going forward. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this was not only the first year, but the year following, too. So this is 2013, 2014. So There's a lot of orgs. There's a lot of teams yeah. <laughs> that like, were there at the beginning. has a legacy, but it's not good. <laughs> Sure. They're coming in yeah. and they're coming out of it because there's um, relegation, there's demotion, there's teams just going defunct, there's teams being bought out. A lot uh, you've got you. mm -hmm, you got AAA against all authority, Dragonborns, Lemon Dogs, Team Alternate, Meet Your Makers, which is notable for a bunch of memes still existing in the community. Yep. Uh, Millennium, yes, very unfortunately, <laughs> one of my favorite team or team names of all time, Super Hot Crew. Um, <laughs> and a couple of others throughout. Uh, these were all organizations that came and tried. You can see that a lot of the ones that didn't actually make it are ones that don't exist in other esports and you haven't heard of since then. Uh, they made a foray into an early burgeoning esport in League of Legends, didn't actually manage to stick around for long enough to create the kind of value that you would need to exist for longer. It, the, the biggest thing for me is that there's only two teams in the original run that are still technically in the LEC right now in Fnatic and SK. Uh, mm -hmm. That's kind of crazy because, like in in NA, I get well. I guess we only had three, um, so it's only one more. Um, but it's just kind of it feels like you know we have all these stories of legacy and dynasty in EU. It's like ah, there's really only two that are still there from the original run. And that's as far as like naming rights goes too, right? Because mm -hmm. SK, Alliance, Evil Geniuses are actually like, those are the same organization, essentially. It was a name change. It was an organizational buyout. Um, and then that became other teams. That happens a lot where you still have the same core stick around from year to year, but with just a completely different name uh, just stamped on the front. Mm -hmm. It was just a really crazy wild time. Everything before franchising is super fun, and it really is the Wild West in both regions. Absolutely. You've got some really big names starting in 1314. Uh, here's a big one for you. Bjorgsen. Sorry, Bjorgsen. Bjorgsen is the guy we were previously referring to with Copenhagen Wolves. Um, he started there, made his debut, smashed it, and then subsequently got poached by TSM, where he became the franchise player in TSM's organization, as well as potentially really just NA uh, at all. And to be clear, we're saying uh, poached got, casually there. I, I don't believe there was actually mm -hmm. a poaching scandal, <laughs> at least in my no. knowledge. But he was picked up, right? Like he was he was imported NA very quickly. 
And part of the the res, or part of the reaction from EU was actually why? Why would you pick Bjergsen? There were others here. There was Ex Peke. There was Ocelot. Um, there was Froggen, who always every off season was like, "Oh, is he going to go to NA? Mm-hmm. Is he going to go to China? Is he going to go to Korea?" Uh, there was always speculation around that. Um, it was odd that Bjergsen would actually be the one that was picked out. He was not the superstar mid laner, even if he was a standout up and comer. Um, we all know how that ended up. Uh, or really, we don't. He's still playing next year, so who fucking knows? Sven Skarin. This is a name that's been around in both NA and EU uh, for a long, long time. And here's another one for y'all. Mithy actually started playing way, 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 way back then. I don't think Niles or Niels had started playing yet. Niels, a.k.a. Sven, who name changed eventually. Yeah, I don't remember if yes. he was in this time. I think that was 2015. Yeah. With origin. Yeah, I think it's a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So, I, th- so I think it's really important. It's really important to mention like the early kind of uh, rivalry that we had with SK Gaming and Fnatic, right? So especially with the XPK backdoor that a lot of new players don't even know exists now. Mm-hmm. There was this one time at IEM Katowice with uh, SK. SK were winning the game. So as tries to run into the enemy base, he manages to kill a turret. Nexus is open. It's entire uh, entirety of Fnatic is dead apart from XPK on Kassadin, and they were running to just kill Fnatic's base. And Xpeke pulls off one of the best plays of all time by teleporting into SK's base, at last hitting the Nexus, while his own Nexus was at 1 HP. And this is like one of the biggest, most hype events of all time. And this happened at the very start of Season 3. Not just last hitting it, but also using his Rift Walk to dodge the two people trying to stop him. Yeah. Absolutely a legendary This was, this was like peak of uh, gameplay, too. Which wasn't... <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that happens in the 2010 to 2014 era that becomes just commonplace yeah. later on. Crazy. Uh, XPeke, the back door. We're talking about the fanatic bush also occurs here, which you've already uh, talked about a little bit, Sam, uh, of basically just hiding in a bush until a team, or enemy team walks by and then just popping out and surprising them, guerrilla warfare. Um, there's also, uh, this is the beginning of the insect, I believe is season three, uh, which is when Lee Sin was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Insect was uh, the play where Elisin would jump around behind someone using a ward and potentially flash to kick them back yeah, into you, your team. You start the ult, you flash to the other side, and then the ult no, registers, no. right? This was before no. that. It's this so was before bad. that. Go yes. watch it. It is so bad. It's awful. <laughs> it is awful. When you watch these plays that actually now have names, now you go back and watch when they started and debuted 10 years ago, it is garbage. Like, You'd be like, wow, any gold player could dodge that. What the hell? A gold player now could pull off a better insect than the original. It's well, so bad. I think it's kind of crazy to think about because I feel like my random solo queue teammates would just you know, beat the hell out of these season three players. Like, It's just crazy how skill has just gotten common knowledge mm. now. Yep. You know, Anybody can pull off these moves, which is great. Um, There's a fun question that actually one of the uh, one of my co-casters uh, at the academy level asked, which is he, he loves asking people this as like a conversation starter. Which worlds do you think you could win <laughs> if you were a player at that worlds? Which ones do you think you could actually win the whole championship? Like how far could you go? I could win season one. No question. <laughs> yep. And I could probably win season two. Yeah, but see, season three is when most people start to question, no. like, could I win season three? Faker would kick my ass at any given <laughs> But a lot point. of people win. think they could win the first two. <laughs> no, nah, I could uh-huh. win till season four. Come on. Oh, no, I will say, since you broadcast for the, the amateur league, 
I'm pretty sure every amateur team could have won season three worlds if they were as good as yes. they are yeah. now. Be- because yes, things, things still weren't solved enough. to the same extent. Like uh, now we have so many fundamentals that are taught to even amateur players in NA, let alone globally, like in EU, where it has all these ERLs in these current days. People are still solving all these problems and figuring out how do you control a wave? Is there a purpose to controlling a wave? Like most teams didn't even know that there was a function to those kinds of things. And like, oh, you can push the wave or freeze it and then reset. And then you have more gold, more control over objectives, all these kinds of things that you take for granted now were still being discovered back in this time period. I think it's really good. And macro as well. Macro is literally just can you get more CS? Mm-hmm. It wasn't actually about can you manipulate the map to get the objectives that you need to win. That wasn't defined at all. I think it's really good that you mentioned wave management specifically. Uh, because in 2014, um, we had the team Alliance, right? Which was XEG, XCLG, um, with, you know, you had the Wicked, Froggen, um, uh, who else? You had Shook, Tabs, and Nif as well. And one thing that they brought to the table that no other team in the world had done yet is a coach. They brought in Leviathan, and he was the very first competitive coach in League of Legends. And people thought that they were cheating for doing that. Um, but there was nothing to say in the rule book that they couldn't. And literally the season after, you will see so many teams bring in coaches. Um, like LS got his start on Super Hot Crew, for example. So, so what you're telling me is that coaching went by Airbud rules at the start. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's no rules against coaches, so we're going to allow it. And then they immediately made a rule after that. It was so fucking funny. And then you look at over in NA and it was like Lemonation was the de facto coach just because he had a notebook and thought yeah. about the game before the game started. Mm-hmm. Like we were truly in the wild west of figuring out any of the basics that we now take for granted. Backroom staff did not exist. Analysts, what? Anal what? Like that's what people thought of when they were looking at these things. We also saw a lot of, you know, super teams come out of the woodwork as well. Um, I already said Alliance, but uh, we don't want to talk about their world's performance in 2014. Uh, Reckless was now old enough to play in Season 4. Um, sorry about that. Oh, Sam, Sam has been <laughs> murdered, apparently. <laughs> Reckless heard you talking <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, no, Reckless is old enough to play now. Um, and he got promoted to Fnatic's you know, main starting team after being on their academy. Um, and he really, really just come out swinging. He became the best EU player by bar none, like by anybody's standards, obviously aside from Bjergsen, but he moved to NA by this time. Um, so everything really looked like it was building up in EU. I gotta say, baby Reckless is still the Reckless that I imagine in my head when I think of him as a player. <laughs> I know now he's like this model status, fully sleeve tatted guy. Um, but dude, baby Reckless, that that's that's where it's really at. Just the the OG baby face. And he wanted to win so bad. Mm-hmm. So now we think of a lot of like franchise players, uh, especially as we get into 16 to like the 20 period, there were players who's just stuck with their teams. And this starts a little bit here. Ocelot is SK Gaming. He is SK Gaming. Uh, Xpeke as well. Um, you've got uh, with Fnatic, you've got um, uh, Alliance with Froggen and Evil Geniuses and CLG and like all these teams that were synonymous almost entirely with their mid laners, but really with the superstars. When Reckless jumped ship, uh, which we'll talk about briefly, because he really wanted to win, that was crazy. That was the first time a superstar had willingly left his team within region 
in order to become the cornerstone of another organization. It was, this was like what was going on. And now you go to NA where every player is on a new team every single year now. Um, it just wasn't the case before. You weren't shopping for new offers. You were sticking with your team and you were trying to improve. That also That's really it. leads into some of the Go international performances, right? Because there were still, this mm-hmm. is when Worlds started to get a little more official. There were a lot of regions. Uh, seeding was more impactful because the better regions had more teams. Um, but And you had leagues to actually yes. qualify teams mm-hmm. out of. And that was you, you can look at all the history of like, how did they do in their own region and kind of build narratives mm-hmm. that way. Um, but this is just a continuation. Uh, Sam, I think you can also offer a little bit more insight into this of EU becoming outclassed by the Eastern teams. Yeah, so I think it's pretty good to talk about Worlds 2014, especially. Um, people obviously always have these high expectations of EU teams to, you know, come out and do well. Um, and that was not the case in 2014. Um, in fact, Worlds didn't go to plan whatsoever, with drama from Svenskaren's incredibly racist summoner name to multiple upsets in the group stage. Not a single European team made it past the groups. So, yeah. Um, so it was looking dire (laughs) for, uh, EU teams internationally in the early years. That's 2013 to 2014, which leads us into kind of what, what we're starting to dub as the foundation years. There's probably a lot of ways you could categorize this next, um, string, but 2015 to 2017 is when EU started to try and differentiate themselves. First of all, from NA, because like uh, we had mentioned from the early years, they were essentially the same product. There, there was a lot of overlap in the format, in the broadcast, and these foundation years is when EU started to really define themselves as their own brand, their own league, their own style. Um, Format-wise, that meant that they were experimenting with things like having two different groups. They would have like a group A and a group B in the regular season, and then there'd be occasional interplay between those, um, but mostly they would just compete in their own groups. Uh, there were best of twos that they experimented with all kinds of different format changes to see, Hey, what's going to stick? What's going to, you know, resonate with our fans. And we started to see more focus on EU viewership as opposed to global viewership. Uh, teams that obviously kind of survived the test of time between the, re- uh, the, the eras. Fnatic is a mainstay. SK is still a mainstay. Gambit still sticking around. Copenhagen Wolves, uh, Rocket and Giants, but teams like Alliance that turned into elements uh, in this period, they started to leave and kind of get get retired out. Um, but we saw a lot of new mainstays come in. Teams like Origin, G2 get their start in this period. Uh, Splice, H2K, and Misfits, even though uh, not all of them are still around, they also started in excuse this Excuse me. Yes? Mr. Kangas, uh-huh. they were not called G2. G- Gamers, Gamers as also. well. There we go. Also. Gamers too, baby. <laughs> they were called G2 by the time they made it into the league. They were Gamers 2 in the there ULCS we go. Academy there we go. equivalent. G2, Gamers as well, Gamers squared, uh, Gamer adjacent, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they got their start in this period, the 2015 to 2017. And this is where we call it the foundation years because a lot of the mainstays in the league start to get their foundations here. And also this is where the league starts to kind of improve more um, at the international stage and big, big, big names start their careers in this generation. Players like Perks, Caps, 
Broxa, Wonder, Kabe, Niski, even Huni and Rainover in 2015 were in the EU LCS. Like these are gigantic gigantic names that even in like modern day most of them are still playing like players like perks and caps they're going to be remembered forever <laughs> like they're basically like the fakers of eu uh the bjergsons the double lifts of eu where they just are these franchise players uh and it's crazy to think back and be like yeah this was really the big foundation years of eu um some of the craziest storylines was uh, Elements, uh, Reckless. I actually, th this was before, some of this was before I started watching. I started watching in 2016. Right. So this was the 2015 run. Um, but then Origin also in 2015, like they had a quick rise. They were huge out the gate. Then they kind of fell. Um, so even though everyone was competing for that top spot, there wasn't necessarily consistency across the league. Um, even teams like G2 coming from Challenger uh, to just being the best team in EU in, in one split. There were kind of like multiple Cloud9 esque narratives from the LCS episode that we talked about. This is also, from an organizational standpoint, this is the beginning of the end for the dudes who grew up playing league the old starting their own orgs and mm -hmm. like what comes next orihan largely fails because it's just run by expeke and largely his mom that's it there is no structure here there's no actual viewpoint of looking at this from a business organization. Uh, I think it's part of what makes these teams really interesting and powerful, though, when it comes to um, success at the international stage, is these are people who are really committed, and they're not in it necessarily to make a big bunch of money because there's not still a lot of money in the scene, uh, but they are committed. They know what they need to do. They're talking. They're arguing. They're working together. Um, and there's nothing really to back them up. So in some cases, it all falls apart because there's nothing to back them up. Mm -hmm. And in other cases, they're good enough to essentially keep staying together until they survive to what becomes the LEC. I think it's... Sam, I think you had Yeah, I think it's kind of crazy. You guys haven't even mentioned Unicorns of Love yet. What an absolutely legendary True. name for an organization. And they're still going today, I think. Uh, or did they disband recently? No, the way, they are the EU Masters. Oh, EUM. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's also a few names that we really have to to just not ignore here, like Sven and Mithy um, yep. when they joined Origin. Um, Soaz was Niels, also on that he, team. He was well. Niels before Niels on, on Origin. Niels. Yeah, come Niels on. Niels at the time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but the the whole elements reckless thing, they were really poised to win worlds. That's why they built the team, right? Reckless wanted to actually have a shot at winning something, and they went seventh in both splits. And in the second split, he went back to Fnatic. Um, so Steelback was out of a job. Um, as we'll <laughs> we'll see multiple times happen here. Um, but honestly, Origin's first year when they went into Worlds, they finished third to fourth with Fnatic, which shocked everybody because they just were a brand new team. They just came out of nowhere, mm -hmm. even despite the Juggernaut update at the time, which was yikes for the meta. Um, and then season six, right? You guys mentioned how G2 came out of the Challenger series, and I need I need to emphasize that a huge, huge, huge point. Xpeke was a starting mid laner for G2 a lot of the time when they were in Challenger League, mm -hmm. and finally, uh, sorry, Ocelot, not Xpeke, my bad. And finally, he let his ego go to the side and gave a 17 year old Croatian boy a start, and he just absolutely dominated. And he he was the only player to stay through many roster changes and many iterations of G2 up until recently. But they, they came out swinging in their first season in, in uh, 2016 in, in Spring Split. They won it. Summer Split, they won it as well. Um, and they had this absolute team of nobodies, right? So they had um, Emperor. They had, uh, obviously, Perks, 
so many randoms on this team, right? And they just absolutely took it, took the bull by the horns and dominated the uh, the league with it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that player and, that you're talking about is, of course, Perks. Like, he just yes, came in and absolutely. just made an insane mm-hmm. debut in the region and is still a mainstay. Yeah. Um, but uh, the summer split saw them really come into their own uh, because they picked up Zven and Mithy from Origin. And they were easily one of the greatest rosters ever, I would say. Um, also picking Expect up, who I personally like Expect, but he's a bit of a nobody. Uh, not really much else to add uh, about rosters here, but H2K mm-hmm. uh, during Worlds, they shocked everybody with Yankos yeah. and Ryu, and they finished third to fourth at Worlds as well, which is absolutely tremendous. For yeah, them. let's just go over this period of international play, since you, you kind of alluded to it in 2015-2016. This is where EU starts to get back in the conversation as like the third place region before it was like, okay, NAEU, they're kind of competing for that third place. But this is the, again, the foundation years where EU starts to build itself up as no, we are the definitive third place in 2015 MSI fanatic takes SKT to five games. At that time it was big deal. And in 2015, they had two teams in the semis. Like that's, that's a big deal. There was a chance that they could have gotten two teams into the finals, but Jax, I'll let you happen. For context, but in 2015, no Western team had ever beaten a Korean team in a best of five. Just yeah. period. So taking SKT, who, again, won Worlds that year, to five games was notable. Yeah. And, this and was were a- considered coming in really, really good. And it was a big pop-off year for uh, Reckless as well on the international stage. We saw him pull out um, one of many Canon uh, ADCs um, which he so pulled much. out again in 2016. He pulled it out recently at the at the show match. So um, it's a pick that just keeps showing up in his career, which is pretty cool. In 2016, you mentioned it, Sam, H2K got into the semis as well. Uh, notably, they beat Albus Knox Luna in the quarterfinals, who robbed CLG of their spot. But I'm not going to talk about that. This is an EU episode. Uh, and then 2017, uh, even though they didn't make as deep of a run, like they didn't get into semis like they had the two years before, Misfits still pushed SKT to five games. And I know that the, Jax is a huge fan of this. Like This is this is probably the peak of Misfits. Um yeah, this was the peak of Misfits, and like at the time, that was still a huge deal. They were considered heavy underdogs. So many of the analysts were like, nah, it's going to be a 3-0. SKT is going to make quick work of them. It was a huge deal that they even made it there. They were projected yeah. as being yeah. like last in their group in group stage, and they instead mm. made it to quarters and took SKT to five games and straight up revamped how the rest of the tournament was played with their style. Like SKT learned from Misfits after beating them and used mm-hmm. it for the rest of the tournament. So two years in a row of getting teams to semis and then a really close series in their third year to get another team to semis that was not favored in the series. This is putting EU back on the map at the international stage to say, nope, they, they are competing. They're still not as good as, you know, the Chinese and Korean teams uh, consistently at these international tournaments, but they are giving them a hard time. Um, and that was kind of the energy going into this next era that we're going to talk about, which is the big change franchising happens across the board for na and eu and the name change it is no longer eu lcs it is now the lec its own distinct brand so Jax, talk to me about the lec so this one's a little weird if you listen to our na episode because eu waited a year to actually do the rebrand and the franchising relative to na But 2018 might as well have been franchised anyway because of how they did it. So 
promotion and relegation happened after each split. So spring split, there would be a summer promotion tournament at the end. Summer split ends, they'd have a spring promotion tournament for who's going to be in next spring. There was a 2018 spring promotion tournament to decide who was going to make it into 2018 spring. And that's how we got, uh, what, Giants and Schalke into the league? Mm -hmm. yeah. Knocking out uh, the best name of any of the random shit teams the EU had that wasn't <laughs> UOL. Mysterious Monkeys. Oh, boy. And also Ninjas in Pajamas, which is a legacy org that we've seen yeah. several times throughout EU, hey. and I believe they're in China now. And they're back. They're back. Mm -hmm. oh, so Just that. in China. Uh, yes. I think it's so, also interesting to note on that Mysterious Monkeys point you just made, um, they went 2-11 and 11 in the split that they yep. were in. They were literally one of the worst teams of all time. And going back even one split before then, Origin, right? Because we didn't really cover the full too much. Um, from 2015, they were in semifinals. They finished third place at Worlds. And then, boom, 2017, right? When they have the two Group A, Group B split, Origin were in Group B. They didn't win a single game. They actually went 0-13 despite playing... 12 regular split games and one tiebreaker, which is crazy. They picked up a mid laner. His name was Nahun. He had lost his first 31 competitive games outside of Korea. And yeah, and we never heard from him again. I think he still plays today, though. I think so. I think he's in like the J Japanese league or something now. Something like that. Uh, so we had the spring promotion tournament and then there was no promotion tournament for summer. So the teams were locked for 2018 as the same 10 teams for the whole year, which was weird since it wasn't franchised yet. <clears throat> and then 2019, they're just like, okay, these are the teams we're franchising and picked their teams. So w because of franchising in 2019, we saw this was the introduction of Vitality, Rogue, and Excel. Um, Vitality came in through promotion relegation and then got into franchising. Uh, Rogue and Excel were just franchising, brought them in. They didn't exist previously. Mm -hmm. um, franchising also brought back SK Gaming, mm -hmm. who had been defunct for a while. Um, and this was also when we got to say goodbye to, like you mentioned, Origin, who it was not so sad, but this was when UOL <laughs> left the European League and went to Russia. This was the end of Giants, the end of H2K, and the end of Rocket. Um, so lots of lots of org names that have been around for a long time just stopped being around when franchising hit. We did um, get to see UOL back at Worlds, though. So yes, know. we did mm -hmm. for years on end. Yeah, we'll, so we'll it, it kind of worked out now. for them, but not for everyone else. <laughs> I mean, they just went to Russia and just dominated the Russian league because they're European and they were better. Speaking of worlds, mm -hmm. though, 2018 was a fantastic year Ooh, for, for oh Europe, yeah. wasn't it? It was absolutely brilliant, with Fnatic winning both EU splits right before it was called LEC, and Season 8 was still EU RCS. Yep. Um, we had Fnatic go through the absolute ringer. They made it to the grand finals, only to lose to Invictus Gaming 3-0, which is very sad because the, something very similar happened the next year. The, the saddest part of that is that they had beaten them 2-1 in group stage. Yeah. They mm -hmm. had to play a tiebreaker, mm -hmm. and they won the tiebreaker. And then they get 3 out in finals by the same team. 
It's like, really? And was it was it a good 3 No, Sam, do you remember? I, it was so it fucking was so bad. bad. <laughs> it was just it was just decimation and it was just truly, truly embarrassing. I would have rather gone out in semis on that. Jesus. They look so broken as yeah. a team. Fnatic just did not look I, ready. And same thing happens the next year. I, G2 does not look my ready. My favorite part of this finals is still the analyst desk where everybody's going Fnatic and then it gets to Jat. And that look on his face when he has 3-0 yeah, from IG, like, he's like, I think he even had 3-1. He gave Fnatic one game, and he was like, like I don't yeah. see it, guys. <laughs> um, so yeah, 2018 was like hype. They made it to the finals, but then let down actual finals match. But it gave hope for 2019. And then we had even more hope when G2 wins MSI in 2019. Yeah. Keep in mind, though, Perks had roll-swapped to ADC because they picked up caps at this point, which yep. actually worked out amazingly well. Perks Kaiser was crazy, crazy good. Um, and yeah, Fnatic bringing in Nemesis as well. Like, we have big roster moves here. And then G2 make the miracle run in MSI 2019. G2 beat SKT 3-2, right, in, in the semifinals. And then Team Liquid win against Invictus Gaming 3-1, the, uh, the previous winners. And then G2 clean sweeps TL in Vietnam finals to bring the first major tournament home to Europe since 2011. It was truly yep. tra like shaping up to be G2's year. Um, and then... <laughs> and then... Unfortunately. <laughs> okay. G2, to be fair, had a harder road to make it here, so the fact mm. that they made it to the finals match was honestly more impressive than it was for Fnatic the year before. Like, yeah. Fnatic the year before, Invictus and Groups was like the only roadblock they really had until finals when it was Invictus and, again. Yeah, I gotta say, like, being a diehard G2 fan, right, I followed them since Challenger, like, since I was still a, an Alliance fan, right? Seeing them finally, finally make it to a World Finals, which, in my opinion, they deserved it so, so, so much. They deserved it so many years in a row. Obviously, they didn't perform, and they finally did it. And then just seeing Perks cry broke me, man. It broke me inside. Mm. The, the most painful part of this was, again, G2 had to be damn one gaming, this was before they had won a Worlds, but still freaking damn one. Yeah. And then SKT back to back. And they did both convincingly. And then G2 just lost to FPX in exactly the same fashion that we had seen Fnatic drop in finals the year before. G2 but the, the had Korea's like, number. The, the big difference mm -hmm. being that G2 played the game so different than Fnatic in 2018. Fnatic in 2018, I remember Brox is just kind of going off in the jungle, mm, doing a lot of yeah. crazy plays. But in G G2's year in 2019, they had like these crazy bot lane picks, these unique support picks. Uh, they were playing the game in like a different fashion. This was the yeah. year that they played Pike in every lane, right? <laughs> like yes. they just yep. experimented and were such a fun team to watch. And that was why I remember a lot of people being so excited about G2, but also EU as a region because they were like, this is unique League of Legends. Freak had the legendary call at MSI. This is peak League of Legends, and it comes from EU. They were doing it different than teams yeah. had done it in the past, and that is what I think was the coolest part about this whole year. Even if it ends on a you know sour note with an 03 in Worlds Finals, they still made freaking Worlds Finals mm -hmm. back yep. to back as a region in a really cool way. It, 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 it's true. It can't be understated enough how like much the world was in G2's palm, right? They literally were just so, so, so good. And to have the, the, the not really ego, but the confidence to pick whatever you want in any lane 
that really is a testament to how good the team meshed together, how well they read the meta, and the individual skill of the players, even with the mid laner playing ADC as well. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, I don't know, I can't stress it enough how good that roster was. G2, to this day, is still the closest any team has gotten to completing the Golden Road. Yeah. They won uh, Aren't they tied with RNG? I thought they were tied with RNG. They're tied with RNG. Yes. But they won Spring in 2019, MSI in 2019, Summer in 2019, and made finals at Worlds. You know, RNG enough. is the yep. only other team that has been able to do anything even close to that, and I don't think RNG made finals. Yeah, that's a good point. They so I guess, yeah, technically, G2 would be closest. Yeah. So, EU, and, but not, absolutely but no. dominant. Also, Sam, you mentioned briefly the uh, role swap with uh, Caps and Perks. We got to mention that this was controversial. Yeah. Because Caps was the mid laner for Fnatic who made it to finals. Yep. A lot of people were really upset. There was a lot of, like, hostility, like, oh, Nemesis isn't going to be any good. And he wasn't at first. Yeah, it was. It's, it's interesting. The thing is, right, this is when, like, the allegations of Perks poaching really came out. Um, yes. You know, so... It actually, if I remember correctly, the article that came out said that he's been doing it for multiple years, even like when it came back to Hyanin and Wadid and um, uh, Zven and Mithy, for example, right? But this is when it was really, really, really controversial that he picked the best player on Fnatic, arguably, to join his own team. And then he played ADC to do it as well. And then in the next season, in season 10, Perks went back mid, in all caps, by the way. He went Perks in all caps as his IGN. And caps played ADC. And that did not turn out as well as we thought it would. No way. Mongoose, did you have something you wanted to Yeah, I was going to say the, the 2019 World Finals was cool just because it was G2 playing their own style, but FPX was also playing their own style. So we yeah. got to see two teams who were kind of spearheading a new style of league with FPX kind of playing the tank mid laners. We saw the Scion, we saw the Malphite, um, even like Nautilus. So um, it was cool seeing the clash of styles, but unfortunately tank mids kind of just don't allow caps to do anything. So it was just heartbreaking in that fashion the nautilus it mid lane baby <laughs> freaking doenby yeah. it f it felt very much like the difference between this and the previous year where g2 still felt like they were at the top of their game whereas previous year Fnatic just felt like that whole series they were just fucked like they weren't playing well um on top of ig just being the better well, team and, and that's kind in of the fpx series that's kind of what i meant when i said mm -hmm. it felt like Fnatic wasn't challenged in except for ig because Fnatic beat up edg who looked mediocre that year and c9 yeah yeah not a not a very tough not a good showcase of your abilities uh but g2 did look like at least games one and two like hey like this is our style we're gonna make it work it's not quite working but that's okay you know if one thing went differently we could have won this game and then game three rolls around. It's like, okay, well, never mind. <laughs> Shit's not working at all. Mm. <laughs> We're going to go home. See you next year. But oh. that, this all is right. where EU, I think, we, we talked uh, in the LCS episode about the golden years for LCS being earlier. These feel like the golden years for EU. Yes. They're back on the map. They're making world finals. They've won an MSI, so they have an international tournament win under their belt. And they're putting themselves in the conversation no longer for third. They have... They're, they're past that, and now they're saying, are we the second best region in the world behind the LPL, behind China? Because those are the only teams that are beating us at these world finals. And I believe, based on these performances, they were officially the second best region yeah. and got yeah. a fourth seed to Worlds because yep. of these years. 
And it, it, that was a huge moment for EU fans as a whole. It was uh, it, it's this across the 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 spectrum of gameplay players and also the broadcast differentiating itself being their own thing this is where they started doing music videos really fun <laughs> content partnering better with their you know sponsors to make you know, unique ads that weren't just boring plug and play ads everything around LEC and Europe became cool <laughs> like yeah. it's cool to be a fan of this league because our content slaps our teams are good our players have personality our narratives around the broadcast are really solid um and th these were really the golden years and then i mean i think across the globe everybody felt this in this next period uh this is if we do this for other regions i think this will be a pretty unanimous thing a, a little event happened in 2020 <laughs> that yeah, uh, limited some of the, uh, you know, the, the momentum slowed it down a little bit. So Mongoose, as we go into this next period of time for LEC history, what we're kind of calling basically 2022 uh, or 2020 up to 2022, uh, uh, the modern era or COVID era, because let's be honest, that's what happened. Everything had to go remote. You know, events were canceled. Games were canceled. Everybody had to figure out how do we do games from home? Things changed uh, at a fast rate. So give us an introduction for kind of the, the, the 2020 era of the EU LCS. Yeah, so going kind of into the COVID era, we had a lot of changes needing to happen and a lot of changes that did happen in terms of going remote, everything going online. Um, but we also saw some teams uh, kind of depart between 2022 and 2020. Um, yeah. We saw Splice go. We saw Orihen uh, become Astralis. They didn't really leave. They just, the parent org kind of just took over mm -hmm. um, with the Astralis name. And very recently, we saw Schalke kind of leave. But 2020, we did see the rise of a new team that comes in, Mad Lions, who have won all of our hearts. I think Mad Lions did a fantastic job with the branding, mm -hmm. with the people that they brought in, the talent that they raised up. Um, and we also had. BDS come in, but uh, you know, Mad Lions. I think there's a there's a splice. letter you missed. There's a letter at the end of BDS. <laughs> nope, that's only if you like. Oh, them. Okay, yeah. right. if you like this team, you will experience that. Shout out yes. to the two BDS fans that we have in the league rundown. You know what's funny is for I don't know reason. if they exist. I'm just guessing we probably have about two. <laughs> Even Jax didn't take the low hanging fruit. I'm disappointed, Kangas. <laughs> right yeah, yeah we make it the joke is made so often on this show it's also yeah. just not my particular brand of degeneracy all oh, right okay. noted. Good. Good. we're noted we're good we're, we're, yep we're moving on very quickly very quickly all right mongoose what else uh, 2020 was also the year where we saw caps go to adc and perks kind of go back to the mid lane and they tried mm -hmm. that for spring and then they tried it again for for summer um but it was more so caps in the mid lane for summer um and it was it wasn't bad but it wasn't the 2019 g2 that we had seen i think they lost a lot of um their energy and a lot of their push to be the best um which felt really really sad but in this era we did get to see a lot of new players come in and a lot of talent that is still around and will be around for a long time uh we saw inspired come in who's now an na uh, we saw Razork come in, who's still playing on Fnatic. Karzy, Kaiser, um, sadly not together as a bot lane duo anymore. But when they came in, Karzy, Kaiser looked so freaking good. Mm -hmm. um, we had Shadow come in, who uh, was on 
uh, Mad Lions, and then went over to the LPL. Then we had Oyoya come in, and just recently we had VTO um, come in, who won MVP um, in summer, right? This past year? Um, I think it was spring. Or spring. So he looked really good coming in as a rookie this year. Um, and kind of the 2020 was a little sad. Uh, we had MSI get canceled in 2020 mm -hmm. um, due to COVID and not being able to make it work. And then we had history also being made by Mad Lions in 2020 uh, as EU did get their fourth seed. Um, but Mad Lions had to go in play-ins as the fourth seed and they failed to make it out, making it the first major region failing to make it out of play-ins. Um, but Mad Lions did come back in 2021 um, and was the MSI representative, got first in summer as well. But because of the rise of Mad, there was also the fall of G2. G2 getting reckless from Fnatic in 2021. Um, and this roster just looked terrible. G2 hey. just like exploded from the inside. Uh, it terrible looked, fourth it place so... roster. Just garbage hey, tier. Absolute trash. Compared to what they had been in the past, this was a really bad look yeah, for G2 yeah. mm -hmm. when it was supposed to be this big upgrade in the AD carry position. Um, so G2 missing worlds. I think, was this the first time they missed worlds since yes. they joined the... Yeah. So yeah. first time they missed worlds in 2021. And uh, it was just... This is kind of new shaping of EU with Mad Lions joining, mm -hmm. Mad Lions being at the top um, and kind of challenging those old guard that have been there for a long time. Also, this was the era where, honestly, it kind of mirrors LCS in a way. Both regions started to have just new champions in general. Rogue also really stepped yep. up in this time period, say. winning LC uh, or LEC uh, titles. And it was no longer the G2 Fnatic every single finals meme. It was, okay, well, there's these two other orgs, Mad Lions, Fresh, the, the new faces, a lot of rookies coming in with them and a lot of excitement around this org. And then Rogue also finding, you know, a very stable org. Players like Inspired making really big waves in his debut. Uh, so much so that <laughs> NA grabbed him very quickly as well. <laughs> kind of like the the old Bjergsen uh, narrative. Um, but it's, it's a cool era. Even if there was a lot of confusion and a lot of struggle, I think the EU took it very gracefully. Uh, as a region, uh, you know, going to remote play, uh, and solving a lot of the content issues from the broadcast side, still making quality content and having a good broadcast. Um, and the players also definitely capitalizing on, look, it's a fresh new generation, fresh new era, and we can have, you know, newer brands established actually pick up titles um, as opposed to, it was what, three orgs that had won a title before this? It was uh, Origin, G2, and Fnatic. I think there was one other in there. Alliance. Like, Alliance, yeah, Alliance, I don't like think, way back in the past. I'm pretty sure Origin didn't win a title. Um, oh. I, it's, it's only ever been Fnatic, Alliance, G2, and... Well, there you go. Yes, and Rogue, yeah. I just assumed because yep, Origin yep. was always kind of historic back in the day, but yeah. So, but, but this is where we get new names They were Rogue before Rogue, yeah. essentially. During Orihan's, like, good run, they were never quite able to get over the hump that was uh, G2 and Fnatic. Mm-hmm. Also, G2 missing worlds broke reckless to a point where he went into an ERL. Like, yeah. <laughs> that completely destroyed him. Every time well, he moves to a well, different was team, it it's bad or was it should, the contract stuff going on yeah. with uh, G2? We don't want to talk about that. No, I think, I think we, we should, should. <laughs> because 
This is a problem that now comes to a head during the COVID period is we're finding out that some organizations, G2 in particular, it seems to be the biggest ones that is doing this because they've had the most superstars, are actually disallowing their own players from leaving and going to another European team. So they didn't allow Reckless essentially to go to back to Fnatic, which is his want. That's where he was trying to go. They basically created too high a barrier for Fnatic to ever be able to pay for his contract to be terminated, sent him to Carmine Corps. And I believe as part of like some of the shenanigans that went on, they had agreements in place as they let other players leave that that player could not also leave to another team afterwards. So even when Perks ended up going to C9, he was not able... No, when Perks went to C9, he was not able to go immediately from C9 to another European team. He had to stay there the whole year, fulfilling out the terms of that contract before he could head back to Europe. Mm -hmm. And they were also blocking just specific players from going to Fnatic, even if it wasn't just like EU. So there are certain players that wanted to go to Fnatic or Fnatic were interested in, and it was a big struggle for that player to actually go there. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I... I, This is contract law. I guess another... It's a big issue. uh, Another offset of kind of a a way to summarize this period was a lot of ping-ponging players between NA and EU. There There were a couple players that went to NA, tried a split or two, didn't work out and now they're back in EU. <laughs> so it, it seems like it's the end of an era where NA would find the best EU players and then just bring them over and keep them. I think Inspired is probably the only one that we've really been able to keep from this generation. But players like Perks, Alfari, uh, Niski, like they're, they're, they're no longer Treats, in NA. Finn. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's even more. Um, and now we're entering this, this next era which kind of brings us into what's next. I think we've, we've kind of covered it, you know, the international performances, what this era was like, so we can start talking about what comes next. But Mongoose, it looks like you got uh, something yeah. else to say here. Before we go on, this was the era where we got the Mad Lions celebration after the game. Yeah, Which was fantastic. <laughs> I wish that could come back in some capacity. So Like, good. if a, a team could form, like, a celebration to have propped up on the broadcast... Um, I think that'd be really cool, but they had like a lot of a lot of cool, interesting things to do on the team room camera, mm-hmm. um, which I wish would come back and I think would be a really uh, good benefit to get from this era. They still did it at international events, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is really cool. Um, and G2 and was had also used doing against it them as well too. at international yep. events, yeah, which was cool. Threatened to throw caps down. Yeah, 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 yeah when they had that like, yeah, the cliff. Big part cool. of why people became fans of the Mad Lions. They li- first off the name, and then they lived up to being mad lads <laughs> after the games in their celebrations. And it definitely taught um, a lot of the other players like how how to stand out on the broadcast. But I love that the EU broadcast fully embraced it, accepted it, and leaned into it and helped build up the player narrative. So just a cool and time. We call. Period. We call NA kind of like the fun region or for fun region, but EU kind of just makes it more fun um, to be a part of the broadcast and be a fan of the teams. Um, I think they really embrace what it is to have that like kind of joking spirit about everything. Um, so it's it's really nice to see that even in this era of COVID, teams are still allowed to express themselves and allowed to kind of have fun um, with everything going on. And this was the branch, right? This was LEC, 
leaning even more into what they'd already been trying to do, which was differentiate themselves as a product from the NALCS, Mm -hmm. which had gone very much the ESPN, more sterile business approach. Every game, everything needs to be presented the same way, equal time, blah, blah, blah. LEC was like, fuck that. That guy's really funny. Keep bringing him back on the broadcast. LEC was like, we're wild and out. We're not ESPN. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was entertainment first. Say again? It was entertainment I love me some first. <laughs> we did it okay. twice. <laughs> not you. Not you. <laughs> entertainment first. Yeah, no. Entertainment and first. player narrative first. Uh, they they really mm. leaned into introducing like rookies in EU. You knew who they were by the end of the split for the most part. They would have stuff to say about every rookie, uh, which I feel is probably one of the biggest criticism against uh, NA and LCS is that oftentimes it feels like it takes a long time for us to really know who the the players are they aren't given like brands from the broadcast side very quickly. Um, yeah, that that's kind of everything up to present. And now uh, we can start looking forward because we, we actually do know a decent amount of what the LEC will look like into this next year, 2023. They have the new format. It's no longer the two splits. It is now, I believe three. Uh, we've talked about it in the past, but it's been a while. So uh, if I say anything incorrect, please correct me everybody, but three splits and uh you know trying out different ways to keep the top teams on broadcast where like the bottom two at the end of the split won't be in the playoffs which is like basically a whole month long and then that will just keep going forward until world's qualification so they're always trying to keep us on the best teams uh build up those players brands etc um and giving kind of rewarding the teams that are performing well really cool way to handle that uh, and then even also they have like the LEC kickoff event that they've uh, given us information on before any of the other regions, at least for the, the English audience, uh, where they have like just a show match between two teams with some of the, you know, veteran players versus some rookies they are focusing on like the old guard and also bringing on again, highlighting rookies, highlighting new players saying, let's get them in this kickoff event because this is a chance to learn about them and tell their stories uh, in a really cool format where it's like, there's no bands, but best of three, you can't play the same champions twice. And the winning team has to switch everyone's positions. <laughs> so it's very likely we get three games. It's, it's just fun, right? Like it's not going to be super serious, but it's a cool way to kick off a season. So uh, I'm very excited for LEC in 2023. And I think that there's definitely a lot uh, that they can do from the broadcast side and also a lot of reason to get excited for the teams and the rosters. So that brings me to a question, you guys. A neat way. I would like to ask the cast something. Going into 2023, who are the power players? What are the teams to look out for? Who are some of the fresh talent that I should be looking out for? Because I've been under the loop for a year, guys. You know that. Hey, I could tell you there's this little player, AD Carey, um, probably haven't heard of him. His name's Reckless. Oh, wow. He came out of the LFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to be a pretty good player. I don't know. They haven't been as good in the U Masters. He's a little old, though. I don't, he might be washed. It might he be, is a little it might be too old. late for him to make it to LEC. He's also replaced about 80% of his skin membrane with black ink. Um, so I'm not sure if he fully qualifies as human <laughs> uh, by EU standards. He's a bionicle. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's. He, you have to say that at some point he is modified, uh, and I, I don't know where EU stands on that. Um, so yeah, I would say he's someone you should definitely be looking out for. Uh, G two though looks like they might be fucking insane. Vitality, uh, Bo is the probably the player I am most excited to watch in EU. We got glimpses of him last season, literal glimpses. That's it, uh, and I am 
ex- I'm stoked. You're for more excited for Bo than you are for Evie in the top lane. <laughs> I saw I'm, Evie. I... I'm more excited for Rooks, personally. I Finally getting his chance after what we saw at Worlds. That was insane. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Evie's going to get just dominated. But it is really cool to have essentially a Japanese import yeah. anywhere. Yep. That's very cool and really cool for that region. I mean, Reckless is younger than Rux, so not the oldest player coming into this. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> How? Yep. Yeah. What? <laughs> Rux, Rux is a month older than Reckless. <laughs> <laughs> all right i gotta check my my narrative tracker how how old does a player have to be before we start making memes about them uh aframu yeah that man's like levels. 45 what are you talking about <laughs> he's 30 god damn it <laughs> <laughs> he's not even a boomer come on <laughs> he's barely a millennial he's also no longer playing so uh but it is also important to note that uh there's uh, org changes in 2023 as well so uh some of them mostly just like kind of branding changes but it is important to still say koi welcome heretics welcome uh both of them already trying to make splashes in the scene um i believe it was koi that did the or koi that did the um show match uh against was that that was fanatic right mm-hmm, yep. correct and Koi is owned by, oh, I don't know, like the largest individual Twitch broadcaster in the entire world in eBay. Uh, this is a big fucking deal. This is an organization that will hopefully have a good idea of how to lean into creating an actual team that exists outside of the games we see every week at LEC. And that's really been the biggest downfall a lot of these esports organizations is you can only monetize that content so much the ones that have stuck around and have been consistent tend to be the orgs that have branched out they've either dove into other esports for brief or long periods of times they've been centered around content creators that's what 100 thieves does it's what um g2 has done a very good job of of really diversifying their portfolio uh so it's not just esports it is everything they're trying to capture every single market and find a way to make money outside of it because right now we're seeing other orgs having to drastically cut and that's been in true for the past probably three to four years really five years of organizations cutting back because they're finding that their expected returns aren't being met at all yet esports is still a new industry we haven't figured it out it is not guaranteed that any of this will stick around for any number of years after this. We're not there yet. Uh, and so hopefully an organization like Koi will bring a degree to stability because they understand and have so much beyond just lowly sports. Yeah. Cool to see. I, I think EU's definitely um, at a stage where they're trying to establish more settled organizations. LCS, it feels like we've gotten to that point. Other than orgs, like rumors like Dignitas, Golden Guardians, those kinds of orgs selling their spots, um, hasn't happened. So EU, we still are seeing kind of change over years with new orgs coming in. Um, and I think the the test for 2023 is will we start to see more stability in the orgs that are represented in the league? Because uh, also... I think EU is probably the most reasonable league to expect expansion going forward, going maybe to 12 teams in the league because they have all the ERLs and all these other, you know, smaller organizations that have established rosters and teams and histories and fan bases uh, and even countries that they're representing. Uh, It's just a very different landscape than what we see in North America. So 
but there's also a couple of people coming back to EU in this next year. Um, it's pretty cool to see, you know, returning members. I think Peter Dunn's probably the biggest one on, on my list as a, a coach that's returning uh, to EU coming from NA um, that did it made incredible waves in, in the North American region, really elevating, you know, player development and uh, promotion from the NA side and theoretically should kind of continue that momentum in EU. Has Peter Dunn ever missed Worlds? I I do not know. Because he only did so. one year with EG. So, yeah, he made it with Mad the year previous. And EG, yeah, I don't think he's ever missed Worlds. Big. It's he even insane. went to Worlds in uh, CB Lol, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if I was going to consider that as part of his no, career part in of that particular career. aspect. But, yeah, you you're right. The episode, you yeah, send he it. talked about it on, yep. on this podcast. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, as an analyst, pretty cool. Um, yeah, lots of returning talent to EU. There are importing, which is, I think, something that should be a little bit of a cause for concern. Uh, but at least player like Bo looks really fucking cool. Um, and Evie in the top lane, I think, is really just because there's not top lane talent in EU. It's been pretty lackluster for a while. Uh, there's a reason why we keep making fun of uh, Mad Lions top laner for getting more money despite Mad Lions bowing out twice early as possible. And yet, and yet, no one can replace him. So, plus, I think, huh, like Bo will bring more viewers, or even Evie will bring a lot more viewers to your games than picking up someone like uh, Sagenda or like one of those top laners that mm. kind of has had an opportunity but isn't going to bring as much of a audience as someone like Evie will. Like, people from Japan are going to watch for Evie. So I think it's nice to bring in more viewers if you can, especially if you're not necessarily making a team that's going to go to Worlds, um, but still want to actually be able to market yourself. So I'm excited for Evie. I'm excited to have a lot more thumbs up on my screen uh, come uh, this the start of the split. We've got a thumbs up. We've got... Um... Uh, God, why am I blanking on Mad Lion's top laner right now? Armut. We've got Armut with his three, so we just need someone with a peace sign, and we'll be able to count to three with top laners. Uh, in well, I believe Armut's let's, also let's just start, so Let's just start messaging oh, all of them mm-hmm. on Twitter and get someone yep. to do a peace sign. See if we can get someone to do that. Yeah, then we need someone to do four <laughs> Wait, for we, no we reason. We need them to spell something, <laughs> though. I feel like that'd be sick if like, they put all different signs and spelled out a word mm, you're right t-s-m-x-d mm. like exactly like in the band phase <laughs> Perfect. but yeah all that's right it. anything else kangas that's uh, everything that up to current and then going forward unless mongoose says something else uh, i was just gonna say something that is gonna go under the radar but could potentially mean a return to at least eu masters is diamond prox changes residency from cis which is russia um to the eu um the eu realm which is emea which is europe the middle east and africa um but it could he could pop up on a team if someone just their jungler flops and they're they looking for someone who's going to be it. cheap yeah i mean he brings <laughs> views, be, i'm sure that'd be the only i mean it, whether he's playing or coaching or what happens uh I don't think there's anybody from pre-EU LCS that would still be around then, right? Um, so Froggen officially hasn't retired yet, okay. but he doesn't play. So yeah, yeah, I think you're right on that one. That means that we can't. Oh, Yellow Star still is around as well. He hasn't officially retired either, but that's it. 
That is it. Those right. have lost the three old guys. Not a lot. Players. There's not a lot in the 12. NA years of still history. has players. Yeah, we still got double it, baby. Yeah, Let's go. We're, we're <laughs> yeah, they keep coming back. We let the old we men keep tossing rest. them out. We let them rest back. for a year and then we bring them back. We're like, <laughs> we actually. But obviously, EU's doing uh, it better. You know, they're they're getting the the new blood in the the new opportunities. And with that, that is uh, the 10 year history of the EU LCS with a little bit of extra time from pre EU LCS. But our hope is that this is. Obviously not an expansive list. This isn't going to tell you everything you need to know. But if you're a new fan coming in, if you're trying to learn about the league, these kinds of things are helpful to understand kind of the context of where we are, what came before, how things were built up to what they are now, and also just kind of cool moments, right? Uh, you know, the legacy, when, when I was getting into EU and NA League of Legends, a lot of what brought me in was the legacy and learning the history of all the teams and the orgs and the players. And uh, hopefully we were able to capture some of that magic for all of you. And also special thank you to Sam for coming back in the podcast. He was on, you know, years uh, in the past when I first joined the podcast, he was on. Uh, and then he, uh, you know, stepped away from us. He betrayed us. Uh, but it's awesome to have him back. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be back and I hope to be on more. So, yeah. Hell Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you're interested in more content like this, let us know. Join our Discord. at uh, This is the League Rundown community. You can find a link to it, I believe, here within the episode itself. Uh, we would love your support on our Patreon. Uh, our Patreon, excuse me. If you could be a patron of ours, that would be awesome. We could put out other more unique content like this. We'd love to hear from you, too. If you like this, if you want something different, uh, please let us know. Otherwise, those of you tuning in now for the first time, or maybe second time, you've listened to the NALCS History Lesson. Uh, we do a weekly show. Every week we talk about what happened, particularly in the West for League of Legends. Uh, we'll give you updates. We'll give you uh, the lowdown on what occurred the previous weekend, as well as what we expect for the following. Uh, we talk a little bit about the East, a little bit of a check-in there. Um, don't have a lot of time to talk about that. We don't want to do a five-hour show every week, although some of you guys would love that. Uh, I have too much going on to be able to sit down for five hours and talk just League of Legends, as much fun as that would be. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Uh, please share this episode to everyone you think would find this interesting. We love to get some feedback. We love to hear what people like about it. Uh, we love to just get into more people's ears as well. So if you're listening to it and you liked it, give us a big old thumbs up or five stars, one for each host here tonight, uh, one for each thumbs up uh, Mongoose wishes he could give the camera. Everyone do it right uh, now. Everyone do it right now. Right Sam's here. not even on we camera, we're but we're doing Sam's it. Doing it. Oh, Mongoose did two for ah, him. Perfect. So we're good. Thank you. Perfect. Can you give us one gold star for each one of those thumbs up, which is five stars uh, on this episode in particular and any others, we would totally appreciate it. But thank you guys. We love you. And we'll see you next bye week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.